Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hello, gals and ghouls, and welcome to the first Spooktober episode here on Whining About Herstory, the podcast where this month, at least, we're going to talk about felonious females and femme fatales. Otherwise, we usually talk about women from history you probably haven't heard of. I'm Kelly. I'm Emily. And you probably haven't heard of the women we're going to be talking about this month either. So no, we just go to the darker side of history. Yeah, we're dipping our toes into the darker side of history and femme patels and deadly dames and all the good murderous stuff. mermaids. <laughs> yeah, basically. So just a disclosure, this is me and Kelly's take two on this episode because we got to the very Literally end. Literally the end. We, I was saying what I was thankful for and Kelly goes, it only recorded the first 15 seconds. Yep. I guess, I guess <laughs> our uh, SIM card that we record onto was full and we had no idea. This week has been an absolute goddamn nightmare. So I am not surprised. And Kelly's like... We, we can record another time. We don't have to record again. I was like, no, because the universe can suck my clit, okay? Yeah, right. It will pleasure me because fuck this. <laughs> We're doing it. Fuck everything. Yeah, yeah. I'm feeling very defiant of the powers that be. I waited outside in the cold for over an hour for my Chipotle this week because they got 160 orders in one hour. I will record this fucking episode. <laughs> fuck yeah. Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, I think we should just dive into the wine we're drinking. Yes, we are drinking a wine called the Seven Deadly Zins, which is a Lodi Old Vine Zinfandel. It is delicious. And it was a wine made for Emily and I. It was as Catholic school rejects and wine lovers. Yes. So this is the back of the bottle. Sinful indeed. This wickedly delicious Zinfandel is temptation at first sip. Born from a Catholic school upbringing and our winemaker's lust for hedonistically seductive wine, this flagship old vine Zinfandel hails from the enviable Lodi Appellation, where Zinfandel reigns supreme. We've given our souls to growing some of the finest grapes so that saints and sinners alike can enjoy seven deadly Zins. I love the voice you used to read that because I could totally hear you reading an Edgar Allan Poe story because it's it's kind of dark and spooky, but also with this laissez-faire attitude that kind of comes off as like, and the heart was beating beneath the floorboards, like you're over it, which Thanks. is creepier somehow. <laughs> what can I do? I, I aim to please. Uh, I love it. And you succeed. So love this wine. What are we cheersing to? Fall again. Happy fall, y'all! Fall is my favorite season. It is mine, too. Although we have that winter chill in the air, which I'm not a huge fan of. Yeah. I not heard, ready I for it I heard the S word for next week, and I'm like, Shh. nope, everybody shut I, up. I was actually leaving the gym today, and there were flurries, and I was like, nope, nope, oh, no, I've already got Snapchats from <laughs> friends that live in other parts of the state yeah. that are like, look what's on my deck, and I'm like, fuck you. Keep it. Keep it there. Wrangle it but in. fall. Do this for all of us. Too Happy right. fall, y'all. Clink. Keep that white shit up north. <laughs> as we say as Minnesotans, we're in one of the most northern states. Yeah. But we're in like the southern part of it. We're in the so southern can, part of the northern states. We can states. still be like, keep it. Keep it up north. Yeah. We're southerners, you see. We're southerners <laughs> of the northern hemisphere. Wait. <laughs> I 
I'm like trying to think of an accent for that. I can't like. Nope. There's no way to combine a southern accent and a Minnesotan accent. Yeah. It, just, it doesn't work together. Oh, my goodness, y'all. No. Nope. Stop. Okay. Um, well, because it is Spooktober and in the spirit of supporting other podcasts, uh, we wanted to do Say Their Names that were podcasts that you probably would want to listen to if you're looking to get that chill, chill up, up your, your spine. spine. Oh, oh my creepy. God. We didn't say that in our first recording. That was natural. We are forcing the universe to sing to our cycles and it right. is submitting. Okay. Here's the thing. I feel like we have more energy this time yeah, around we because we are like, we're like fuck you. <laughs> we are enraged and we're busting out of our cage. All yeah. right. So uh, I, I actually have uh, a few say their names because uh, I have three, actually, because I thought of another one <laughs> from our last recording. So my first say their name is Hashtag History. They are a history podcast that we have teamed up with in the past. So we actually covered uh, Dorothea Dix, who was a herstory hero in the medical field. And they covered Jane Topan, who was a herstory disaster in the medical yeah, field. that was creepy. It'll give you nightmares. Spoiler, she killed a bunch of people and was really gross about it. Uh, so you can actually hear that episode on their podcast. I can't remember what episode it is, but you'll, you'll find you'll it. You'll see it. Yeah. yeah. And they cover a lot of really dark topics. So they're very well researched. They cover one topic per episode. And so they get more in depth than we yep. usually can about and, our and topics. It's not all dark topics, but they cover a it lot of It kind of is topics. dark topics. There's a few that aren't. It's... Which ones? <laughs> I'd have to go look at their website. But I'm like, the, the lightest one they have is probably the dark shit about Disney. Well, they have like the one about like the president, which is not super dark. It was one of their first episodes. I don't know. They start off with the uh, Chappaquiddick incident, which is dark as hell. But 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 it's they not do that dark. It's super dark. A guy left a woman to drown in a car and went oh, to go sorry. take a nap because he's a piece of shit. Seriously, guys, go listen yeah, to it. Yeah, it's. But they cover bad. topics ranging from true crime to political scandal to disasters like the Triangle Shirtwaist fa- fa- Factory. Yep. Rachel and Leah, they're another female-led podcast. They are truly fantastic. You can check them out wherever you find us. They're on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and that's hashtag spelled out. They covered the Library of Alexandria, which that one's not super That's dark. mysterious. And the Akhenaten slash Emotep. That one's not super dark either. That that's mysterious though. They cover kind of the spooky ooky side of history. Yeah, it, it's yeah. There's there's uh, last year they covered Jack the Ripper. I would yes. uh, definitely say go listen to that one. They also covered Liv- Lizzie Borden. Yeah. Oh, I love that one. The fucking mutton. Right. <laughs> um, I also have another one because they do they did offer a source for my story. Red handed. They're a. Uh, Female-led true crime podcast based out of, I believe, London, if not London, Britain. Uh, And actually, I use them as a source for my topic, and I have been binging them since. Again, they cover one case per episode. They mix humor uh, really well with the severity of the cases. And so if you're looking for a true crime podcast that gets into the details of a crime but isn't so horrifically disgusting that you can't stomach it definitely check out red-handed you can find them wherever you find us that's red-handed all one word and again support female-led independent podcasts because that's what both of these are 
Who around the world? Girls with podcasts. Who around the world? Girls with podcasts. That's totally true. <laughs> or at least it will be. Um, and my final say their name is actually uh, more personal. Uh, a friend of mine just passed away this week. And uh, she's my age. Very young. It, you know, it was just really sad and tragic. And so I've been kind of riding that emotional roller coaster but I did want to just shout her out she was such a good friend we were good friends in middle school and high school in particular and we actually have this like fun little history memory when we were in seventh grade we had to do this uh, project for English where each of us had to research a historical figure and then in front of the class dress up as that person and interview each other as if we were the person that's so weird so I originally was going to do Lizzie Borden and be Lizzie Borden. And the whole concept was like, you're in heaven. And I'm like, how do I get Lizzie Borden into heaven? Right. And you're like talking with the, like, I would have both in her, heaven talking. Yeah, I would have needed her up on a stool and like had to be talking up to her because I'm definitely in hell. But um, I ended up changing it to Oscar Schindler. And so I teamed up with Melissa and she was Jackie Kennedy. And so I was like, so Jackie what's up with your dead husband? And she's like, not much. What's up with your sad ass list? <laughs> like it was just, it was weird. Like looking back on it, it's so bizarre, but we had so, I remember like researching for that project. And we had so much fun. And I've been looking back at pictures like from our senior party and hanging out in the hallway when we had a free period and just being a bunch of goose. And she was just this really positive person. Yeah. And I have all these amazing memories. Prom, like, I, I don't know. There, it's all very bittersweet now, but she was an absolute light in the world. She was an amazing mother, amazing partner, amazing friend, and I just wanted to cheers to her. Melissa, you are loved and you are missed. Cheers. And this is why we do the wine before the say our names. Yep. Because how can we start talking about the seven deadly sins now? You can't. We can, however, dive into our dark ass stories. So I am going first this week. And uh, this, the name I'm about to say may sound a little familiar for our longtime listeners. Today, I'm covering Ruth Ellis, or as I like to call her, the other Ruth Ellis. I, still, every time you say it, I'm like, it just doesn't fit. Yeah. So back in June, I covered LGBTQ plus activist Ruth Ellis, who basically turned her home into a community center for LGBTQ plus youth, which then inspired things. a literal, like an official community center and Which support center today. the ruth ellis center go check them out they're based in michigan it's an incredible mission my friend actually raised like 400 dollars for them for her birthday this summer sweet. it was amazing but if you remember my research was complicated by another ruth ellis who couldn't be more opposite as promised today i'm covering the other ruth ellis yay let me set the scene <laughs> it was the evening of April 10th, 1955. Easter Sunday, in fact. David Blakely was leaving the Magdala pub with a friend when he hears a woman shout his name. It was Ruth Ellis. The other Ruth Ellis. His girlfriend. Before David could react, Ruth raised a handgun and fired six shots at him, four of which pierced his body, killing him. Ruth immediately confessed to the crime, even surrendering the murder weapon to an off-duty policeman who happened to be at the scene. The country, Britain, England, 
was shocked. I have to, I have to differentiate. I know they're very sensitive about that. This is happening in England. The country was shocked that this beautiful blonde bombshell of a woman would commit such a heinous crime. But overall, it seemed rather open and shut. There were at least six witnesses and Ruth herself had confessed at the scene holding the fucking gun. So it came as no surprise that Ruth was sentenced to hang for her crime. To be hung by the neck. To be hanged by the neck until dead. I always love how they have to distinguish that. I know, right? It just reminds me of all of the like nitty gritty things we get in with our language. Like, no, 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 you can't just hang them and then, like, let them off. Like, you've been hanged. It's fine. And this made her the last woman to be hanged in Britain. But if we look beyond the actions of that fateful Easter Sunday, an entirely different picture emerges. I'm going to try out sound effects this week. All right. It's going to get crazy. Ruth Ellis was born on October 9th, 1926 in a seaside town in North Wales as the fifth of six children to parents Elizabertha, a Belgian refugee, and Arthur, an English cellist who traveled around playing the score for silent movies, which I love that was a job. Right. Like, you could be a musician playing along movies. That's so cool. At first, things were good. Uh, oh shit. Oh my god, that scared the hell out of me. We have break-ins. <gasps> oh my god. The pugs just broke. Oh my god, Kelly's pugs just broke in the door and so the door was creaking and Kelly was looking over my shoulder cuz the door is like kind of behind me and I look and I just see this t- small dark black shape moving to me cuz her black pug busted the fuck in. Oh my god. God. Okay, we're going to take a quick break while we herd these fucking pugs. <laughs> okay, Kelly has successfully herded the pugs. <laughs> Emily's heart is now beating at a semi-normal pace. That scared the fuck out of me. Like, I'm already talking about a murder, and then this, like, the door creaks open, and this black shape comes at me like Jesus. You're like, oh, God, I'm about to die. Oh, that scared me. Fuck. Okay. Back to Ruth's Grim family. Reaper is significantly smaller than I thought it was. <laughs> God, the Grim Reaper is so tiny and cute. <laughs> so at first, things with Ruth, Ruth's family were good. Arthur was making good money. And he, like, he wasn't home a lot. So like the mom was taking him. Yeah. But you know, he's making good money. It's fine. But as silent films were replaced by talkies, thank God we don't call them that anymore, cello work became scarce. Like, there's not a lot of work nowadays for a professional cello player, and it's sad, but that's the world we live in. This led the family to slip into severe poverty. That sucks. Quick trigger warning for child abuse. Ruth's father was also sexually abusing her and her sister. So the fact he wasn't home a lot was a very good thing, right. and then he was home all the time, and it yeah, was really that's bad. terrible, yeah. Um, that is the only bit of child abuse I get into, Again, we're talking about a murderer, so the shit is dark. So just buckle up. At 14 years old, Ruth dropped out of school to work as a waitress. Within the same year, her family relocated to London. Now, Ruth was a very ambitious and hardworking person. She worked a variety of jobs, including factory jobs to support the war effort, because now we're in, like, World War II era London. And, like, she did clerical jobs and all this stuff, but she Basically tended... whatever jobs she could get her hands on. Exactly. And especially with World War II, there were a lot more jobs open to women. 
But Ruth tended to gravitate towards more glamorous jobs. And it was this that drew her to Soho in London's West End. And this is a pretty happening area with lots of clubs and a nightlife I mean, and bars and is. restaurants. Oh, fuck yeah. And Ruth found work here. Now, the club scene in London at this time was really fascinating. There were places, they were places where affluent upper class people would rub elbows with the lower class and even criminals. And like, I kind of met of them. Sorry, I kind of imagined Vegas or like, like you had mentioned Atlanta, where it's like, there's a lot of glitz, glamour, booze drugs and all the dark the darker side stuff too exactly so you know you could be at the craps table in vegas gambling next to a murderer or a drug lord or something like you really don't know because they take everyone they take everyone's money it's great and this really spit in the face of britain's otherwise strict social hierarchy so even at this time you were kind of stuck in the class in which you were born uh, there was, I think there was even still kind of the old money, new money conflict. Oh, it may not have been as severe as it was back in the day, but the whole like being lower class or upper class was still a div- divisive factor in society. Yeah. Though the patrons of these clubs were a mixed bag, the clubs themselves had to put on this air of sophistication. So everyone wanted to go there. So, you know, the people who were in the upper class felt at home like this place is worthy of me. But then the lower class was like, this is fancy as fuck. I love it. Right. But they still allow me in. Yeah. This is why Ruth developed her own posh London accent to replace her natural Welsh accent, which was seen as like less sophisticated, kind of country bumpkin. Uh, so imagine how the queen talks in that really proper clipped, you know, I, I can't do it and I'm not going to, but Don't the girls the on Red Handed do a great job because they already have British accents. Right. They're already British. They're halfway there. Uh, so she also had a glamorous look to go with the accent. She was something of this blonde bombshell wearing her hair in a stylish fringe curls and was sometimes compared to Marilyn Mer- Monroe. So she had that really bright bleached hair. Yeah short kind of the the t- imagine I Marilyn of, Monroe I think of um the main person in uh Chicago because she when she's Roxy on trial Hart. for murder she cuts her hair into curls and dyes it blonde this story actually has a lot of uh similarities similarities to the Roxy Hart story and I know that specific Chicago story was based off of a different crime yeah but this also there's a lot of similarities and it's really interesting but yeah imagine Roxy Hart from Chicago if you don't know who Marilyn Monroe is because you've been living under a rock for the past century just rock very comfortable god can I get one right now despite her best efforts to feel like she belonged in this world of glitz and glam Ruth would always be made to feel like an outsider. After all, she was still a working girl and no amount of bleach or makeup or cute silk blouses could really rub that that off. (laughs) It was while working in Soho that Ruth met a Canadian soldier and at 17 Mm -hmm. years old, remember, she's super young when she's working. Right. She She basically just worked as soon as she could. Exactly. 14 years old. She's out there. So at 17 years old, she became pregnant with a Canadian soldier's child. Instead of getting married like Ruth had hoped, the soldier who had was stationed there because of World War II and was already married, peaced out, Back leaving Ruth to care for her son, their son, Andre, her son. Because he peaced out. He doesn't get to no, he doesn't declare get, ownership. No. But there is still a level of responsibility. So her there, you know what I'm saying. 
At first, the soldiers sent money to Ruth and their son, but after a year, the payment stopped coming. Of course. He's like, do I really have to support this war child for the rest of my life? A year is enough. Right. He's like, no, I'm done. Struggling to support a son on her own, Ruth sent him to live with her mother. Ruth began working as a hostess at the court club, and these hostess jobs paid much better than the factory jobs or clerical work that Ruth had done in the past. Unfortunately, the manager of this nightclub where she worked blackmailed the hostesses into having sex with him, i.e. rape by coercion. That's just sick. Like, that makes me sick to my stomach. And I, I I, wanted to still include the language blackmailed into having sex because I wanted to kind of describe the specifics of how no, this was I, happening. Yeah. But let's be honest, like, underage sex, underage, like, no, it, it's it's rape and it's raping a child. Like, let's. Be, it is what it is. Yeah. Let's call it like it is because it's a sanitized language that makes these horrible things kind of easy to dismiss. There were also rumors that Ruth was a sex worker on the podcast that I mentioned that proved to be an amazing source for the for these notes. Red Handed, uh, which I have been bitching ever since, said there was no definite evidence that she was a sex worker, but it didn't really kind of matter. Yeah. yeah, the fact that she was a single working woman who wore makeup, dyed her hair, had, had, co- had sex, a kid. did most and did most things that women nowadays would otherwise take for granted, she was assumed to be one. And this is why those prejudices against sex workers, trans women, women of a certain class or type or whatever, whatever. are so yeah. dangerous because it doesn't matter who or what you are. It just matters that someone thinks you are. Right. And it's then that's terrible. justification to yeah. hurt you. So Or just treat you like shit. Exactly. Ruth became pregnant and had an abortion, which was 100% illegal in Britain at the time. Because of this, abortions were extremely dangerous and could easily result in the long-term injury or death of the patient. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, and this is why we need to keep that stuff accessible. Right. Um, So in sources that claim that she was a sex worker, it's said that a client got her pregnant um regardless ruth never disclosed who it was i mean that makes sense yeah and honestly it's no one's fucking business it's no one's business but hers yeah but this would this comes back i'm not mentioning this to be like this is what kind of person she was no no it's, you're just saying this is how people viewed her exactly and it will be used against her you can bet your bottom dollar <laughs> While working at the court club, Ruth began a relationship with customer George Ellis, a 41-year-old divorcee dentist with two sons from his previous marriage. The two would eventually get married in 1950, but it wasn't the beginning of a happily ever after. He sounds like a real winner. Yeah. George was a violent alcoholic, which he didn't describe on his Tinder profile, asshole. God damn it. I hate when they don't do that. I know. Like, if you're an asshole, just tell me on your profile that you're an asshole and I will steer clear. Like, you will find horrible. Women will still want to be with you. Horrible, unhealthy love. (laughs) But let me not waste my time. Uh, So he was physically and emotionally abusive. An incredibly jealous man, George convinced himself that Ruth was having an affair and took his frustrations out on her. As is very common in abusive relationships, Ruth tried to leave multiple times, but the departure was always temporary. And what this makes me think of, in a lot of really toxic relationships, when someone is doing something 
bad, like cheating or drug or whatever, it's not uncommon for them to suddenly blame the victim or not not blame, accuse the victim. So of say, doing the same thing. So yeah. say I'm in a relationship with someone who's cheating on me. And he suddenly starts accusing me of cheating. And I'm like, where the fuck did this come from? It's because he is and he's yep. projecting and, and, and trying to put it on me. And not always true. So not like if always. your guy said something, don't immediately assume he's cheating. But it's very common. It's weird. And if there's no reason for them to think that, it's really bizarre. If that comes out of nowhere, like that's yeah, weird. weird. That's not a that's not OK. That's not appropriate. It's not normal. And so that's what that makes me think of. But I think yeah. it was also the type of woman that he perceived Ruth to be. She's a woman who has sex. She must be cheating on me. Right, like, then exactly. don't marry her, asshole. Ugh. Ruth became pregnant uh, with George's child, but didn't slow down. In 1951, she appeared in the movie Lady Godiva Rides Again, which again is about a woman riding topless for reasons I can't remember. Something about her husband doing something. Her husband was being peasants. a dick, and yep. so she was like, no, look at my tits. As one does. Uh, uh, so she was in an uncredited role as a beauty queen. And she did this At while four she was months four pregnant. months pregnant. That's insane. Damn, girl. So like, again, she's hot. Ruth gave birth to her daughter, Georgina, who I assume was named for George, which makes this next part extra sad. George refused to believe that he was the father, accusing Ruth of getting knocked up by someone else. This is terrible. He's such a gem. Shortly after Georgina's birth, Ruth and George did get a divorce. Ruth kept her married name, though, Ruth Ellis, which would become infamous. Ruth, now 27 years old, and every time I read that, I'm like, God, she was so, like, she's younger than me, and she's already, like, she already has two children, has been divorced. She's been working since she was 14. Right. So she's everything just had is a lot accelerated. Of shit happened. To like, her. I've been dating the same dude for five years. We're not married. I have a house, I guess, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Like, I'm yeah. very proud of that. But I'm like, I have not lived a quarter of the life that this woman has lived, for better or for worse. She has seen some shit. So she's 27 years old. She finds a job as a manager of the little club in Knightsbridge where she made uh, or where she was able to rent a one room apartment or flat for our British listeners above the club where she and Andre, her son, lived. And I, I'm a uh, later it comes up that Georgina was in George's custody. So that's where she is. She wasn't like Georgina didn't just go poof like she's not my problem. Right. Anymore. Exactly. Like, like and honestly, if she was having a hard time providing for Andre before I can't imagine what it would have been like to provide for yeah, two children no way she but it's also really sad that this little girl her she's got this abusive alcoholic father I'm not sure if he was abusive to the children too but he's a piece of shit and that's also sad so Knightsbridge is a very affluent area in London bordering Hyde Park so I imagine managing a club there was a very big deal this also meant that the clientele at the club were equally upscale you know, if you're if you're living in the the lower rungs of London, it's kind of a pain in the ass to schlep your way all the way to fucking Knightsbridge. Right, exactly. While working at the little club, Ruth met 26 year old David Blakely, a race car driver. Now, when I imagine someone who's trying to become a race car driver, I imagine either a five year old or a rich dude. There are only two people who want to be race car drivers. That's them. Yes, that's kind of true. Spoiler, David Blakely was not a five-year-old, <laughs> if you couldn't guess. Ruth fell hard for this pretty rich boy, but Blakely had a dark side. 
He was incredibly abusive and would physically beat Ruth. There are even existing photos of her where bruises can be seen. Blakely also hit her so hard in the head once she went temporarily deaf. Holy shit. Despite Ruth frequently being seen with bruises on her arms and sporting black eyes, Blakely was viewed as too good for the working class... I did it again. I slurred this line last time. Working class Welsh hostess. I should have changed it. Like, I should know I can't say those kinds of words when I've been drinking. Blakely seemed to share this view because he's a dick. Though he was dating Ruth, he was actually engaged multiple times throughout their relationship to women who held his own status. Blakely also refused to introduce Ruth to his family. Though Ruth was seen as Blakely's flight of fancy, you know, just this hot girl to hang out with, have fun with, and have sex with, Ruth was also entertaining other options because she's not, you know, stupid. Right? She's like, no, like, I, I, I don't understand. Know. So Desmond Cousin was a former Royal Air Force pilot who served during World War II uh, and who was also now the director of his family's company, Cousin & Co., which owned a string of tobacco shops. It just sounds, I don't know, it doesn't sound right. Like Cousin & Co.? Yeah, it just, yeah, I you know. His last name is kind of yeah. Cousin. I, I don't know. It just rubs me the wrong way. It, it it hits me as my American cousin, which makes me think of Abraham Lincoln getting shot. And It makes me think of like... You know, kissing cousin. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't like the word cousin in general. Yeah, it's a, not, not a good word. Yeah, it's up there with moist. Yeah, I like the word moist. <laughs> or, not that I don't like it. It doesn't bother me. Yeah. Uh, so he's basically like this big shot tobacco shop yeah. heir. Not heir. He took it over. Yeah, yeah. No, he, he is he is the, the king of the... To- he's the tobacco king. The tobacco king. There you go. That was good. Like Blakely, Cousin was of the upper upper echelons of society, but he was really taken with Ruth. The two dated and were extremely close. In fact, when Ruth lost her job managing the little club, she moved in with Cousin. The consensus is that Cousin, like, really loved Ruth and wanted to settle down and do the whole family thing, but she wanted that with Blakely. Like, I, I think she had feelings for Cousin, I I purposely didn't use the men's first names because it's Desmond and David. And I feel like for our listeners, that can be hard to differentiate just by hearing. Because I know I personally will like, oh, that's the A guy and that's the C guy, you know. So that's why I'm using their last names. But yeah, she's like, I like you. I'm into you. But like, she was really stuck on Blakely. Like, for better or for worse, she was really stuck on him. At one point, Blakely did propose to Ruth and she said yes, but this was amidst escalating physical abuse. In January of 1955, Ruth was pregnant and I couldn't find if it was Blakely or Cousin's baby, but at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter because Blakely viciously beat Ruth as he was known to do, but in this instance, he punched her in the stomach so hard that she suffered a miscarriage. That's disgusting. Like, that just makes me sick to my stomach right like you fuck like to to beat someone in general but to beat a pregnant woman and then have her miss like fuck you and here's the thing 
he's obviously a murder victim and I'm not trying to downplay that because that that's also a tragedy you know his life was taken so suddenly and violently that being said just because he tragically he was killed that doesn't mean that this is okay or like yeah but he was murdered so we shouldn't be too hard on him fuck that fuck him like that's awful and i would say that for anyone else who did yeah, that no that's that fucking is awful awful that there is no other way to say that yeah if you don't believe that you're kind of a terrible person yeah exactly so cousin was always there for ruth as her confidant and she would share the horror stories of blakely's abuse with him so there's actually this audio recording because back back then um to record yourself on a, a cassette tape was kind of this novelty thing and you could buy these little recorders yeah. and record yourself and so they record she recorded a conversation between her and cousin they were kind of playing around with it and in this audio recording she comments that he comments that she looks tired and first of all gentlemen never tell a woman she looks no. tired just unless you're really close like honey are you okay you look kind of tired like don't you i don't know like just, if you're married maybe it's okay. maybe like That's and don't it. say you look tired be like is everything okay like is there anything i can do to help don't be like you look tired yeah, don't start a conversation that way. But so he says, you know, you look tired. And she says something like, I'll give you a black eye. David gave me a black eye on New Year's. And she says this so like quickly and casually, like it's normal for your boyfriend yeah, to give you a black just, eye. Oh, it was just another day. Yeah. And it, it's first of all, for him to say, like, I'll give you a black eye. Like, I can see that. Like, sometimes someone will say something snarky to me. I'm like, fuck you. You know, there's that almost over aggression. But she's already like, I'll she's I'll punch so you back. Yeah. And also I've been being I've been beat, you know? It's it's not a normal like, thing. I, I, I'll give you a black eye and I know how painful it is because I've been given one recently. Exactly. And it doesn't matter. It's no big deal, but it is. Exactly. So I know what a lot of people are maybe thinking. Why didn't Ruth go to the police with all these allegations of abuse? Well, at the time, other than the fact that she's a woman accusing a wealthy upper class yeah. man of she, beating she her. She is a woman from a low society spot accusing someone of high society Who's seen as something. too good for her in the first place. Yep. Like no one gets why he's hanging out with her. Other than that, at the time, domestic abuse was seen as something that the individuals involved had to work out themselves, and it wasn't seen as a police matter. This is, that's kind of the Victorian sensibility of you deal with your own problems. What goes on behind closed doors exactly. is your own thing. And it's it's really like people like to talk about how it fits into society and like, well, there's the public sphere and the private sphere and, you know, families, they deal with things on their own. It's none of my business. It's really just we don't care about women. Right. And I men can be abused. Men can be victims of abuse 100 percent. Oftentimes they are less likely to be believed because they are men, especially if they're abused by women, which right. is truly fucking sinister. That being said, women are commonly abuse victims. And especially in this sense, like, I don't care if this lower class lady is being beat by this upper class guy. He shouldn't be with her in the first place. And she should be lucky he's even giving her attention. Right. And so all of this finally culminates into the Easter Sunday of 1955. And the story of that fateful Easter Sunday went a little something like this. On Good Friday, April 8th, so two days before 
the murder. Yep. Blakely was visiting some friends with whom he was building a race car. And Ruth fucking hated these people because they always made it a point to remind her that she was lower class. Like they were those snarky, passive aggressive friends that were just like, ha ha, clean a good gutters lately, gutter skank. Right. They're just assholes. Yeah. They didn't do, I mean, here's the thing. They're not the killers in the story. I'm not going to be too critical on them, but she hated them because they kind of put her in her place, which shouldn't be a thing anyway. No, it shouldn't. So Ruth knew that Blakely was over at their house and she called the house several times to speak with him and the couple would always answer and be like, he's not here. Fuck off. Ruth. So Ruth gets into a taxi to go to this couple's house and she sees Blakely's car there. So she's like, okay, I knew he was there and he's fucking lying to me and they're lying to me and I already hate them. I'm already mad at him. Yep. Furious, Ruth opened the windows of his car so that that when it rained, water would get in. Because these were the windows, you just kind of like pushed them in and they go sideways. So you don't have to actually like get in the car to do it. Hmm. Pretty light vandalism in my perspective. She didn't key his car, so. Yeah. But that wasn't enough. After putting her son Andre to bed that Saturday, Ruth caught a taxi to Magdala Pub a common hangout for Blakely. Like she knew he was going to, if he was in the area, he was going to go there. He was going to be there, yeah. Ruth waited outside the pub until Blakely exited with a couple of friends. She shouted his name, but he either didn't hear or didn't care. Ruth took out a 38 caliber Smith & Wesson revolver from her handbag and fired twice. Blakely was hit and laid on the ground. Ruth walked up to him and fired four more bullets into his chest at close range. In total, six shots were fired, four of which hit their target. The other two remaining bullets, uh, one went off somewhere and another hit a bystander in the thumb, but she lived and she's okay, but thumbs up are a sensitive subject. Like she can only give a movie one and a half thumbs up at most. You're terrible, but this it's is funny why I can't have time. a true crime podcast because one, I can't deal with reading about this stuff on a weekly basis, and two, I am a piece of shit. I don't know. That was pretty <laughs> funny. I mean, like she was fine. It was her. Thumb. She was fine. This isn't about her. She's fine. It's fine. So once Ruth was done, she asked one of Blakely's undoubtedly shocked friends to call the police. However, they didn't have to go far. An off-duty policeman was in the pub that night and had come out to see what all the shooting was about. Right. Like, he's like, oh, guys, I heard something going on. Guys, is everything okay out here? I heard some gunshots. And that seems especially unusual in England, where even the cops don't carry guns. So yeah, they just carry batons and tasers. Don't yeah. They? They, they do not have a gun culture no, the way we all. do. And so actually listening to Red Handed, which is a British podcast, and hearing them compare, because they're very, they're obviously much more familiar with the British laws. Yeah. And so hearing them comment and be kind of dumbstruck about some of the things that we are just so used to and numb to, I'm like, oh, shit, I guess that shouldn't be normal or right. isn't normal other places. So that's kind of a culture shock. In a good slash horrifying way. Right. Ruth handed the officer the gun, confessed to what she had done, and was arrested. In her official statement, Ruth starts by saying, quote, I understand what has been said. I am guilty. I am rather confused. And I feel like that last sentence is so telling because she just seems to be in this like, I don't know. I don't want to say kind of out of it. Yeah, but ju- and, and like she was definitely aware of what she was doing, but just 
I, I don't know. There's something weird to that. Yeah, I agree. Um, that I feel points to an altered state of mind. Her total confession was only three pages, which That's according so to short. right. So in and we're not just saying that as people who don't know better. According to experts in the documentary Ruth Ellis, a very British crime story, it's suspiciously short. How can you encapsulate everything that happened leading up to the murder, the abuse, the miscarriage, how she even got the weapon, the thoughts going through her head, everything into three pages? Like, that makes no sense. I am. Hold on. Let me check. I am on page five right now, and I am summarizing so hard. Like, she would have had detailed anecdotes. What happened on New Year's when he gave you a black eye? What precipitated it? That could be a page on its own. Right. Like, there's no way her story was only three, only three pages. Yeah, it's not, like, clearly she left out everything. She must have, like, literally only talked about the shooting. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And not even in full detail. And I don't think they were asking a lot of no, questions. I don't think they cared. I don't think they delved that I much I think they deeper. were like, you know what? You confessed at the scene of the crime where everyone saw you Everyone do it. saw you do it. This is open and shut. We don't actually have to think about this. So they were probably just like, write down what happened. Yeah. When you just shot tell him. us and we're at, Yeah. So Ruth said she had gotten the murder weapon from a customer at the club where she had worked many years ago and just didn't see the point in getting rid of it. So she just has this gun like floating around and you she's know, she and keeps so, it in a nightstand. It's like that top that you're like, I kind of fallen out of love with this, but I want to hang on to it because I feel like later, like maybe I'll have use for it. Like I, I've gotten rid of clothes where I still think about like, what if I had kept that? I bet it'd look really good on me. Right? I, know, <laughs> I shouldn't have gotten way. rid of it. <laughs> This this case was sensational. It read like something out of a noir crime drama. This slutty blonde bombshell working girl femme fatale draws a gun from her purse to gun down wealthy race car driver boyfriend in the heated crime of passion. That is 100% probably a headline that happened. Yeah, exactly. Because this is exactly the narrative that the news latched onto. Like, yeah, of course. Why this is what they? they were going with. It wasn't like... Man gunned down in street. It was like sexy blonde shoots boyfriend right, and it because wasn't like she's abused women feelings. Abuse, <laughs> you know, abused mistress, girlfriend. I wouldn't even say mistress. Well, like, the reason I said mistress is because yeah. he was occasionally engaged engaged to people in, within his social circle. Yeah. But I guess at that time, if he wasn't engaged, then, yeah, girlfriend would be fine. So as we often see with the women we cover, people were very interested in what she was wearing and what she looked like rather than what she did, even though in this case it was fucking murder. Like, she wasn't even engaging in something that they didn't care about. Like, I don't really care that she's talking about women's rights, but fuck, she's wearing pants. Like, she has taken someone's life and they're like, what kind of brand of bleach does she use? Is that 100% who, silver? Who is, is that a mixed when she fiber? Fired that gun? <laughs> yeah. What shade of lipstick? Did she have a hat on? Was she wearing not really a waitress red nail polish, which is my mother's favorite shade of nail polish? Wait, that's actually a nail polish? Yeah, color? OPI has really weird nail polish names. I think all nail polish has really weird names, but OPI will like craft a narrative. And so one of my mom's favorite shades is uh, not really a waitress. And it's this like bright red. And it's gorgeous. Really a waitress. Yeah. I love that. I love it. Love you, Gwen. Uh, so there were other elements of sexism and classism that were rampant in the press. Her oh, sexual sure. history, her work history, her upbringing, her place in society. Everything was laid out and everyone was And judging. probably not correctly either. 
Oh, I bet not. You know, because they probably like played up like, oh, look at these jobs that she was probably actually a sex worker, not actually like this and, job. And, and that's why I said this, earlier, you know, she had two kids out of wedlock and, in a, you know, if they found out well, about one the abortion. Was not out of wedlock. That's true. Well, mm, OK. Yeah. But. And because, like I mentioned before, a lot of resources I found said that she was a sex worker, but and so that's probably but but others said, said like there's her. actually no documentation. I did read somewhere that she was a nude model, which like, dude, I'm a nude model that has nothing to do with my sexuality right. or my sexual preferences or literally my... anyone can be a new nude model. Yeah, that that's the coolest thing about it because they love people of different body types and genders and representations. Like it's almost like the like more unique your body is the more they want to draw you i suppose that makes sense yeah so but yeah so so there's all this stuff about her being a slut and a sex worker and of lady of the evening and irresponsible and yeah just she's being demonized what wasn't made public, however, was the severe abuse Ruth had suffered at the hands of Blakely. These events were recorded with prison doctors who had who were evaluating her, but not with the investigators and not with the press. Perhaps they never even asked. Probably not. They certainly didn't ask Andre, Ruth's son, who was, I believe, either 10 or 11 at the time of these that's, events. So That's weird. So he's old enough to know what's going on. It's not like he's a toddler who's like, eh. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, like he's cog- cognizant of what's going on. Like, yeah, he could he tell has people. Yes, independent I was with my mom thoughts, or, and know. he can recall events. And yeah. he's not a baby. So they didn't ask him about the events of that fateful night and beyond. David David Cousin himself had actually told Ruth's family not to let police question Andre under any circumstances. If they had, Sketch. they'd get an entirely different story. Just. Quick note, if anyone involved with a murder gives you something to hang on to or says not to talk to the police or says don't let this person talk to the police, go to the police immediately. That is sketch as fuck. Right. Like, you're going to end up being some sort of accomplice to this murder if you don't. I don't remember what it was. What crime story it was but there was an instance where this uh man had murdered a woman and he went to a different woman who he had used to date and basically gave her a trash bag full of shit and was like uh can you hang on to this for me because if the cops find this with me it's gonna look bad and she threw it away because she thought it was weird i'm like no you call the cops if you think it's weird because she didn't want to be roped into it. But I was like, then call the cops and turn it over. And then you did the right thing. Right. According to Andre, Ruth and Cousin had been together all day that Easter Sunday. Initially, they were going to drop Andre off at a local fair, but it was closed or canceled or whatever. So he rode in the car with them as they searched for David Blakely all fucking day. When they couldn't find him, they headed back to their flat in London. But on the way, they stopped in a wooded area where Cousin showed Ruth how to fire a handgun using a tree for target practice. After they got back home, Ruth tucked Andre into bed and left with Cousin, both of them carrying a gun. Cousin actually confirmed this account to one of Ruth's lawyer's assistants. But for some reason, the confession never made its way to Ruth's lawyer or to court. And no one for sure knows why. 
but it's kind of thought that because I paid someone off or it just didn't matter. It was an open and shut case. It could be. It could also be that because this is her own lawyer, which also cousin hired the lawyer. So there's this weird element Mm. there. But what what some people think it is, they were trying to get her off on this like crime of passion, heat of the moment thing. And if they had been trolling around looking for him all day, that lends credence to this was super premeditated and we don't want to even bring that up. So it could have been for her benefit. It could have been sketch. It could have been a little bit of both. But the point is, the truth was not told. Right. But even without this information, investigators at the time should have known that Ruth's account didn't quite add up, even as she told it. As the story went, Ruth took a taxi to the murder scene to commit this crime. However, it was the law at the time that taxi drivers had to report to police if they had any connection to an alleged crime. Uh, so they had to come forward and provide whatever information they could right, or like, yes, risk I picked, losing their I licenses. this person up here and dropped exactly. them off there. Yeah, because here's the thing. They're covering their own ass, so they're not an accessory. They are providing useful information to the police, and they're not losing their license and their livelihood. It's right. kind of this triple win. But no taxi drivers came forward. Why wouldn't they? Well, that's because Ruth didn't take a taxi to the murder scene. Cousin had driven her to the house to initially look for Blakely at the crappy couple's house and to the pub where she killed him. And I don't know if he was like waiting outside and saw it happen or how long he lingered, but he took her there to confront Blakely knowing she was armed. And he was too. Yeah. And here's the thing. I'm not saying she's not responsible for what she did, but this guy played a a much more significant role in the crime than anyone was led to believe. And that's an issue. While Cousin was questioned following the murder, he lied to the police about his whereabouts and the subsequent events. In addition, the police didn't even ask him about what he had done during the day of Easter Sunday. It seems that they thought everything was pretty cut and dry because they didn't dig that deeply. They just didn't care. Yeah. So they were like, where were you at the time of the murder? And they didn't ask what he did before, which was teaching Ruth how to shoot a gun. Right. While also being armed. Ruth was deemed fit to stand trial after psychiatrists and doctors examined her and found that she was of sound mind. And I only trust that about halfway because I feel like nowadays, if they had that information that she had been severely abused, it changes the thing. They would have, I mean, like, she may have been fit to stand trial. But they would have evaluated her as having what we colloquially known at, know as battered woman syndrome, which has a, has a medical the name that I don't know, and I'm sorry. On June 20th, 1955, Ruth appeared in court at the Old Bailey in London. Her freshly bleached stylish hair and white silk blouse were definitely reported on. Her attorney had actually wanted her to tone down her appearance, but Ruth wouldn't do it. And I can only imagine, like, what she was thinking. So I'm I'm thinking if I'm in that position, I want to appear as sympathetic to a jury as possible. Right. But Ruth had spent all of this time and energy cultivating her image, her mannerisms, her fucking accent to transcend where she had come from and her like alleged station in life. How could she go back? Because that wasn't her. For better or for worse, this blonde, sophisticated, clipped accent posh lady was her now. 
And we should all have the freedom to cultivate our own identity and looks like we shouldn't be pigeonholed into like, oh, you were born here, so you have to look and act like this. That's awful. The fact that her attorneys wanted her to tone it down is just another testament of how Ruth was being viewed and judged. During the trial, nothing was brought up about David Cousins' participation. When he was questioned on the stand, he talked all about Ruth's sexual history, abortions, and basically threw her character under the bus. This man who had wanted to have a life with her when shit got real and he had a part in it, he was like, take her, but don't take me. He was trying to distance himself as much as possible. Yeah. So like I said earlier, it's like, yeah, he seems like a better choice than Blakely, but he's also an asshole. So Ruth did have the opportunity to talk about the abuse when questioned by her lawyer, but she seemed to downplay it. She said that Blakely had only ever hit her with his hands, which how does that that matter? Yeah, I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. He didn't have a hammer handy at the time. And regarding the miscarriage, she said she couldn't be sure if it was caused by Blakely punching her in the stomach beforehand. Ruth was very matter of fact, which caused the jury to view her as cold instead of this broken woman who had been driven to extremes. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Now, like now we know everyone processes trauma and grief differently and how long term trauma can change our perceptions of things. For example, how victims of abuse or trauma will say it could have been worse or it's not that bad. Yeah. I they're have like, said pe- that. People have, people have been through worse than me. Yeah. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to bring it up. Exactly. And this is all to cope with what they're dealing with and to be like, it's not that bad. I can get through this. It's fine. But for a 1950s jury, Ruth just came off as a bitch. Right. And like that whole, it's not that bad. It could have been worse. I've like with my own like sexual assault, I've been there. Oh, I yeah. like, I've told my therapist and people like it, it like it wasn't that bad i'm fine it's not and even though i still have nightmares right it's it just, still fucks me up yeah. like it's bad it it's does, a coping mechanism. just because it could be worse doesn't mean it wasn't bad right when ruth took the stand the prosecutor only asked her one question quote when you fire the revolver at close range into the body of david blakely what did you intend to do ruth answered it's obvious when i shot him I intended to kill him. Duh. Like, what else yeah. is she supposed to say? Like, right, she's like, 100% she taking responsibility. fired two shots, walked closer, and fired the other shots. Mm-hmm. Like, clearly, she knew what she was doing. Yeah, like, and, and here's the thing. If she had said anything other than, I was trying to kill him, like, that's insane. She's taking responsibility for what she did. It only took the jury 14 minutes to convict Ruth of murder with a mandatory death sentence. No one was surprised at the time that Ruth was found guilty, especially considering the fact that accounting or sorry, according to the law at the time, the jury wasn't allowed to consider the abuse Ruth had suffered as provoking the killing. Jesus. English law at the time recognized heat of the moment circumstances, like if you walk in on your partner cheating with you and you flip but it has your to shit. Be like- in that moment when you kill them. Yeah, so that's Jesus. a reason to reduce a murder charge to manslaughter because you were thrown into this extreme emotional moment where it could be reasonable that you lost control of yourself. Jesus. But the abuse... I mean, I agree, but that shouldn't be the only circumstance. Yeah, because but the abuse that had provoked Ruth was long lasting and had not was not taking place in the very moment she fired the gun. It's not like he was raising a fist and she shot him in defense or, you know, terrible though. What did shock people though was the sentence 
death by hanging. A woman being put to death in Britain at the time was extremely rare. 90% of those who were sentenced to death had their sentences commuted. Even men were often reprieved. So this isn't just like a delicate woman flower kind of thing. Right. It was just Britain's much less violent than we are. I don't know if I would say that, but... But, like, but, you know what I mean? Like, like the, they the, they the, commuted more sentences than we tend to. Yeah, the, the death sentence at this time was starting to kind of... Fall out of favor. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say fall out of fashion or go out of vogue, and I'm like, those seem a lot more dismissive than I want to say. But, yeah, fall out of favor. Excellent. Surprising, this was surprising to me at least. The public was outraged with the sentencing. Petitions for clemency gathered thousands of signatures, and there were even clemency movements. Yeah, that is shocking. This also stirred up the already contentious issue of whether capital punishment had a place in modern society. So, like, there's a lot of emotional issues intersecting in this On one case. On different sides, yeah. Yeah, it, it's like whether it's class, gender, sex, uh, gender roles. Capital punishment, abuse, like, like this little, shit kind of touched on everything. everything yeah. yeah. And that's one of the reasons I'm I'm glad I covered this case because it touches on a lot of the issues that we commonly cover. Yeah, it does. Inadvertently through the women we cover. Because <laughs> the world is a nightmare. Yeah, it is. While awaiting her execution, Ruth confessed to her sister that she wanted to die and wrote to David Blakely's mother apologizing and saying that, quote, I shall die loving your son. So I think she she did feel remorse for what she did. And she was like, I'm ready to face the consequences. I know what I did. There's no denying I did it. So yeah. let's just get on with it. I get that. However, Ruth did seem to have a slight change of heart towards the end. Less than a day before her scheduled execution, she ditched her old lawyer, which again was hired by cousin, which is weird. Right. And I don't like it. Uh, in favor of a new one that gave and she gave a new statement to him, which recounted the days leading up to the murder. And this account was perfectly in line with her sons and cousins about driving around looking for Blakely practicing firing at the tree like the truth cousin had actually given her the gun she says in the statement and she said it was cousin's idea to shoot blakely and honestly that makes a lot of sense to me because he wants ruth for himself she's fucking around with blakely but then coming to cousin being like he beats me and she and he's like, right. you know, I have this gun laying around. If you just want to shoot him and we can start our lives together. And then it just went completely tits up and he threw her under the bus. That sounds like exactly what happened. With this new statement, Ruth hoped her death sentence would be overturned. Not that she would like be found innocent and not responsible. Just she wouldn't be killed. It wasn't. <laughs> right. Well, and I mean, I feel like. You know, with less than a day left to your execution, there's not really a whole lot of time. Like, yeah, you can tell your story, but is that really enough time? You know, because a lot of times if sentences get commuted, it's, you know, months in the making. Yeah. And I mean, we, we've we definitely heard about those like someone is literally being escorted to the, the chair or the chamber right. or whatever, and they get a call from the mayor. There was one story I heard about where... Uh, the the mayor or the governor was on a boat and they were calling his boat to try to like get a stay of execution. They couldn't get a hold of him. Like the line was busy or That's something. Weird. Like someone was chatting away on the boat and like at like at the very last second they are strapping this person into the chair. The governor is like, 
okay, like, give it a minute. <laughs> right. Like, let, let's talk. Let's, like, let's press pause. I'm drunk. I'm on this boat. I don't know if he was. I'm editorializing. <laughs> we can just say it was. So... On July 13th, 1955, Ruth was hanged, becoming the last woman hanged in Britain. She was reported as saying, quote, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I am quite happy to die. Reports of her execution stated that she, quote, looked on a crucifix for a few seconds before she died and that she was described as, quote, the calmest woman who ever went to the gallows. Wow. And I I really think this is telling. She 100% took responsibility for what she did. Yeah. She was like, I know I killed a man. Yeah. And I I personally don't think she should have been put to death for this, considering everything surrounding it. Right. I agree. I I think. I, I feel like I have to give her credit for taking responsibility and being like, yeah, I did this and I understand why this is happening. And if this is what has to happen, okay. And I'm sorry. Legacy. The Ruth Ellis case still captivates people today and questions persist. If she was tried today, would the outcome be the same? I personally don't think so. No, I don't think so either, but it's hard to judge I, those I, cases by today's standards. And I also think a lot of the same elements with her being this blonde, sexy bombshell would have still played a part in a case today. 100%. Oh, yeah. The Homicide Act was passed in 1957, which limited capital punishment to only being applicable to certain kinds of murder, kind of the way we do like first and second degree. Like yeah, okay. if it was premeditated, it's worse than if it was a... He, heat in the moment kind of thing versus if it was an accident versus if it was an accident but you super shouldn't have been in that situation blah blah right etc etc this act also introduced the idea of diminished responsibility which means even if you intended to kill someone if there was some issue with your mental capacity such as being abused you could face a lesser charge of manslaughter so you're not just off the hook that doesn't mean if someone no you're not like oh you murdered someone feelings, you get to kill anyone but they acknowledge that it's not as bad as like i don't like this person i'm going to kill them and i'm going to spend weeks planning it and i'm going to hunt them down and Blah, blah, blah. Right, exactly. In 1965, 10 years after Ruth's uh, Ruth's murder or the murder she committed yeah. and her execution, the death penalty was kind of abolished. It was put on this five-year probation before being officially abolished in 1969. It's like... We'll, we'll look at it again I'll, in five years. You know what? Years. I'll wear it around the house and see if I actually like it. I can always return it. It's fine. Oh, my God. That was funny. That was good job. That was hilarious. Oh my god! I think that was the best sentence saying we've ever done on this show. Fuck! (laughs) I'm so sorry. Uh, Devin Cousin moved to Australia and died in 1991. Fuck him! I don't care. Nope. The fuck out. Yeah. So the tragedy which befell Ruth Ellis. He he moved to a prison (laughs) colony. He ex he like exported himself. He's like I'll just I'll just go. Yeah, he exiled himself. The tragedy which befell Ruth Ellis seemed to ripple out from her. Her ex-husband, George Ellis, completed suicide. And I really don't think that has anything to do with no, Ruth. No, he didn't he, seem to be in a good place. Yeah, he was clearly a troubled and violent and frightening human being. So he had problems. Ruth's daughter, Georgina, who was only three when her mother was executed, went to live with a foster family after George's suicide when she was six. So when she's three, her mother is executed. When she's six, her father completes suicide. 
And she uh, ends up dying of cancer at age 50. And honestly, she gets off the easiest of everyone I'm about to talk about. Ruth's mother was found unconscious in her flat, which was filled with gas. And I'm not sure if it was intentional or not. But either way, she suffered permanent mental disabilities from it. That's terrible. Finally, little Andre grew up, but was understandably troubled. In 1982, he completed suicide after desecrating his own mother's grave. The 37-year-old Andre didn't have a lot of personal connections and was staying in a boarding house at the time. And I, in that Ruth Ellis documentary, uh, they reconstruct the crime scene and show you the room. And it's so, it's like a closet. It's wow. like a long closet. It's very, very tiny. Um, it was weeks before his body was discovered. Because he was just... He was all by himself. Yeah, he was just alone in this place where no one was checking in oh, on him. He didn't have anyone else checking in on him. And he, yeah, he like wrecked his mother's tombstone a few days before. And it was, it was really weird. Um, just, it's, it's sad. It's very sad. He clearly had this tumultuous childhood. I think he saw a cousin as a father figure Probably. who pieced out. And he was involved. It's it's just it's just this whole thing. It's messy. It's sad. As recently as 2003, Ruth's case was sent to the Court of Appeal, but the appeal was not granted as the court determined they could only judge the case based on the laws at the time, not in a modern sense. So it's kind of like if a so um, I'm going to I'm going to use this as an example um brock turner the stanford rapist the reason one of the reasons he was not uh punished as much as he totally should have been 100 was because the law in california at the time said that if a victim does not fight back it's it's not rape it's a lesser form of sexual assault here's the thing that girl was unconscious. How could she fight back? That's even more sinister. Fuck off. The law was changed, changed after that yeah. because everyone realized there was this horrific loophole. That being said, it was not retroactive because That's the crime was works, committed yeah. when the law was this at the time. Otherwise, we, like... E- I don't know. You could steal a candy bar and they could decide that's a capital offense. And like when you were five, you're getting... Mm, killed for a crime you committed when you were five when it wasn't a big deal i don't know it can spiral it's still fucked right get it it's, yeah. i i understand it's terrible it, and we understand yeah if you go to the magdala pub today where the murder was committed you will see two holes in the side of the building no these aren't the stray bullets that didn't hit blakely because remember one of them hit some woman else, in the thumb yeah. but they are in addition by a very enterprising landlady that was made in the 1990s. Like 50 years after, not 50, like 40 years after She's this like, happened. Let's just try this. Yeah, as like a tourist destination. And I totally get it. Like people would definitely go there and take selfies oh, yeah. and with sure the bullet do. holes. Like, Jeez. but guys, they're not the real bullet holes. There were none, okay? There's actually a book being released in November of this year called The Last Woman to be Hanged, The Ruth Ellis Story by Robert Hancock that I would be We're really interested read in reading. Yeah. I think I might use some Audible credits for that one because I want it. Yeah. Although I feel bad listening to it now. Actually, no. I'm glad I'm doing the story now and then learning more because otherwise I would be under all this pressure to basically read the book to you because right. <laughs> there's going to be so much that I don't know. Ruth's case Ruth's case still fascinates the public. 
It was this great intersection of class, gender, sexuality, shifting gender roles, abuse, societal norms, and so yeah, much more. It literally more. had a little bit of everything. Exactly. There's still a debate uh, as to how responsible Ruth was for the killing that night and how a modern court might view her case. But what we can do is learn so much from how her case was handled and how the media portrayed an abused woman as a blonde bombshell femme fatale because that is not a relic of the past. That still happens. In Even if yep. it's not a woman who killed someone, we still judge women on their sexuality, their sexual history, their work history, their pregnancy history. What they're wearing. What are they worth? What are they worth? Whether they are killing someone, have been killed, uh, were attacked, or you know, like, or are running for office, regardless of what a woman is doing in her life. It's ridiculous. Any of that stuff can be plucked to plaster her as a slut, a whore, a lesser person. And I think it's very important that we are conscious of that, so we can recognize it when we see it. And that is the story. Of the other Ruth Ellis, the last woman to be hanged in Britain. Polite golf claps. That's beautiful. Even yeah. hearing it a second time, I'm still like, oh, that's a, that's a story. And a I, I hope you were able to process it more because because she tells a different story than what happened. And we've got Andre's story. And yeah, there's a whole lot of stuff going on. I there. try to simplify and tell as like cohesive of a narrative as possible. But there's a lot of shit <laughs> no, going it makes, on. It makes sense. It made sense both times, but it's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I am very excited for your story because your story, when we recorded this the first time, was exactly what I needed after reading about fucking Ruth Ellis. So, the, sorry. The other Ruth Ellis, it sounds like I'm saying I'm fucking yeah, I her. I'm, it's okay. I, I need you. to stop drinking. Okay. Or just keep drinking. <laughs> I need to get to the other side of this. I need to push through the drinking. Yeah, exactly. By drinking more. So I'm not covering a person per se more of like a legend which is great i'm really i love this it reminds me of when you cl covered mrs claus yeah like i still one. think about that and how clever that was so this is the tale of like a Bra brazilian mermaid siren you know and we're not talking like little mermaid you know happy-go-lucky no so, we're talking like old school mermaids sirens that kill people so get those sexy fish sorry shell bras out of your head i'm like fish shell no fish, fish shell. don't have sh 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 i'm gonna stop <laughs> this okay. is too much so here's the backstory to this they're called the yara i don't i couldn't find if that was like actually the woman's name because supposedly this is based off of a woman, or if that's what she became known as after. But we're just going to go with Yara. So she was part of either the the Tupi tribe or the Guarani tribe that are Brazilian-based tribes in the Amazon. So that's where that's where this setting is. It's humid. And Yara means um, mother of waters, basically. So my guess is it comes after but they just call her Yara. It also is known as, um, it's derived from a word that literally means like lady of the lake or late water queen. So I think that's pretty cool too. Water queen. Oh, that's right up our alley. Right. So according to this legend, uh, or it was an oral tale originally, Yara was stunning. 
as happens quite often in stories, any story, real or fake, containing <laughs> women, they had to talk about how beautiful she was. She had. <laughs> And not only was she beautiful, she was very, very talented. She was an amazing warrior. She was kind. She was a good leader. And everyone loved her. Total package. And so not only was she this amazing woman, she happened to be the daughter of either the chief or the spiritual leader of her tribe. It kind of goes back and forth on which one it was. But either way, like a very powerful person was her father. Yeah, she's like uh, essentially a princess. Exactly. And everyone loved her except for, of course, her brothers who, Dicks. you know, she was showing up by being this amazing person. This is why Ariel had like eight All sisters, sisters yep. because brothers are dicks. <laughs> so her two brothers were like, OK, she's this awesome warrior. You know, like everybody loves her. But, you know, like we need to be the best. So we're they decided to go old school Cain and Abel on her and they were like, okay, we're just going to take her out. My fragile masculinity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, because they knew they couldn't take her on in two-on-one combat, um, they waited until she was asleep, you know, figuring, well, she's asleep. Uh, clearly, two of us will be able to take her if she's sleeping. I love that these two burly warrior dudes were like, okay, right. we clearly cannot take her on while she's awake. We can't take on this single woman while she's awake. We need to wait till she's sleeping. Right. Because we are not 2v1 right now. She's like eight and we are two. Right, exactly. We're maybe like one. Like you're half, I'm half. I don't know. <laughs> we're so, so fragile. As they attempted to kill her, she woke up and killed them in self-defense. Totally valid. Right. It It is then said her father, who obviously didn't know that the sons tried to kill her first, condemned her to death, which led her to take off like into the woods and be like, I don't deserve this. But eventually she was caught and drowned in a nearby river. OK, that's bullshit. He clearly does not listen because how much time does it take to be like they tried to kill me? Fuck, I don't yeah. know what I'm supposed to do here. Just let it happen. Fuck you. Right. So that that is one version. The other version is just that the brothers tossed her in a river and she drowned. Yeah. So I like the other one better. I, I don't know which one I like better because the dad's a huge asshole. But at the same time, she takes the brothers out with right. her. So I that's, get that's to That's why I like that, that one. <laughs> um, so then it's said that even underwater, you know, the, the fish or whatever... Sea critters, not sea, sea critters, critters, river critters, river you know, monsters were, were fascinated by her and they, they, you know, thought she was cool or pretty or something. I don't know. They liked her. So they transformed her into a half fish, half human. This girl person. knows how to party. Let's do this. <laughs> right. And supposedly from this first woman, there became a branch of river, river dwelling mermaids called the Yara. Is she just like pop it like asexually reproducing? I no Am idea. I thinking about this too much? Yeah. I need to let it go. Okay. Right. And so, and then it is said, of course, as siren, nymph, mermaid tales go, that men, when men found her or heard her, if she was singing, they would become so enchanted by her that, you know, she would be able to drag them underwater and drown them. You know what she was singing? What? She was singing about that. Wet ass pussy. Yeah, there you go. Wop. Wop. She was singing the WAP song. <laughs> oh my God. Hers free headcanon. She was singing some dirty shit, and the men were like, Yes. Whoa, what? Get out of my head. Let's do this. Yeah, exactly. 
There are tales of men escaping. However, if they did manage to escape, they would either go insane or they would have like bite marks on their neck and like shoulders from her. What happens if they didn't escape kind of change from telling to telling. Some of them said that they would drown and she would eat them. Others say that like she basically had like a little aquatic harem and she would actually treat them fairly well but that she was destined to be alone because she, while she was immortal even though they became fish people became fish people they were not immortal so she basically would just keep going through lovers which would be really really sad i like that one more than she just right. eats them because there seems to be more complexity to it other because yeah like eat them seems so easy and like no she's cultivating a fish harem of mortal lovers which she has to constantly replace like cans of soup in her fridge right and so the legends don't really talk about what happens if it was a woman that happened upon her so they fist bump well, of course, uh, what rejected princesses said was presumably a curt head nod which i love here's there's just a say hey, what up how you doing yeah that's what i like that's what i envision i just, i love that hey, i love that there's like a little salute just a little so this kind of spawned from originally there was a tale of a monstrous merman, which was named as the Puppy Yara, which I might not, I might be pronouncing that wrong, but it was known as a freshwater monster that de- uh, that would devour fishermen. So originally it was a merman, and then somehow it became a, a river mermaid, which is so much better. I just, I just thought of what happens when a woman happens upon the Yara. Yeah. Oh my God! I love your tail. Does it have pockets? I got it on sale. Right. <laughs> I love, I love your, your hair skirt. color. <laughs> oh my god, what color is that? Is that I'm not really a waitress nail polish? Fucking get it, girl. Right. Basically, it's just, it's just great. They're drunk girls in the bathroom at a bar. Yeah. That's what it is. Like, there's the one girl crying in the corner and like three strangers being like, bitch, he doesn't deserve you. You throw his ass out on the street. You need me to throw hands? I will throw hands for you, woman I met two seconds ago. Right? Like. <laughs> Bring them to this river, girl. I got you. Yeah, yeah. Bring them to the river. Say you're going to do a strip tease. It gets them every time. Right. I need to build my harem. A few dudes died. They got real old. It was gross. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and so obviously, as I said, the Yara is very similar in nature to quite a lot of other folklore. There is the La Lorana in Mexico and the southern United States. There is the La Patasola. There are... Uh, there's a version in North America that are like the deer women, which are like they're deer, half deer instead of so like weird deer centaurs. I'm I'm really thinking like because that makes me think of the Wendigo, which is totally different from this because right. that's like a cannibalistic, no deerish. Gross the deer woman is spirit. basically like a deer version of a siren. Okay, all, all the ones I just mentioned are versions of sirens that lead men to their death. I love that we don't get like. We don't get fish. No, we don't we get deer. anything relevant to aquatic animals. We get fucking deer, which makes sense because I was walking in the woods yesterday and I saw like four fucking deer. I see deer all over because it's fall and they are everywhere. Right. They do say it's very interesting that the the most common theme to siren-based myths are that these, these women have some s- sort of physical deformity and it's almost always to do with their feet. Because deer women have have hooves, obviously. Oh, okay. Um, and Yara and La Patasola, or no, 
sorry, La Patasola and something called a Tunda just have deformed feet. Yara and Sirens have tails, and the La Lorana are said to often not have feet. People who see them, so like, it's very interesting. Is that- it La Yorona, the weeping woman? L L O R. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So La Yorona. They're, they're a lot of times said not La to have feet. La Yorona. Like, dun, dun, it's just, <laughs> that's very interesting to me that for some reason, like, yeah, they have physical deformities, but like, they're all foot based. That's so interesting. I wonder if part of it is because the titties are like what draw people in. Because when, when you think yeah, of so mermaids. you got to keep the upper half. They're, they're topless usually. Like, like if you're presenting them to kids, there's the shell bra idea or something. Or some but that's not how shirt. they're traditionally. Yeah. No, they're it's, naked. They're topless. So I really, th- and I think it's also probably because they're in the water. Yeah. So their lower halves are. But it's just interesting because even the ones that aren't in the water. Isn't that the ultimate betrayal too, though? Because man like she's got tight abs she's got nice tits cute face like, i'm gonna get in that pussy her. and then you get below the waist where the guys really want to go because this is all very sexual and it's fishtail and death yeah, right <laughs> like i wonder if that's like the ultimate sexual betrayal like there's no pussy here which right. is kind of this like weird fear for men it's uh, it is. It's very interesting. Oh, uh, you can get real into that, and we will not. So there is a Brazilian stamp that features the Yara on it, which I think is great. I love that the Yara has her own herstory stamp. Yeah, I, I kind of want it. It looks kind of badass. And then apparently nowadays Yara, both in the traditional spelling with an I and and the less traditional well, I guess now more traditional with the Y is actually a very popular female name in Brazil and I would totally name my my daughter that I would I totally feel like it's name such an empowered that. name yeah that's fucking badass so yeah that is the legend of the Yara I I think it's so interesting so you were bringing up all of the different water-based creatures that cause death to yeah. men or like I know y'all you're sorry La Yorona primarily right. kills children. Yeah, and but but they're, and like they're, the deer, like the deer women are not technically fish, but it's you know but, along but, but, the yeah, same the, ilk. These these uh, killer river spirits are all feminine. Right, they almost all use their sexuality to lure men in or victims in somehow. Whether it's the sirens luring sailors, the Yara luring men to the river, I, right? Like La Yorona is throwing me off because she lures children with, but she sings. But it, it's a lot of she sings to lure singing them. or beauty based, yeah. luring of people. And because these are coming from all these different cultures, that you know, like. I, I understand maybe the idea of the mermaid, especially with uh, colonialism and all that, has spread. But like the Yara, I feel like that's just Brazilian. You know, yeah. like maybe there's some influence, but I wa- there's got to be some kind of anthropological study about the myth of deadly femme fatale water spirits. Like, why are they almost always feminine? Why are they killing men with similar? And yeah, is, it's is, very is it just because those are the things that men value in women? They're pretty and they can sing. Like, oh, they're pretty and entertaining. Right. Like, yeah, singing it would be very was a big interesting deal. to see. Like, I would love that. 
what what was the initial culture like it came out of and why yeah historians if you guys are into this please tell us more Let i us would know. really love to because it kind of reminds me of the the flood myth how all these different yeah. cultures that didn't have contact came up with the similar idea where it's like okay but this seems so specific i understand water being dangerous because it's necessary for life but it will fucking wreck you if you're not careful especially because swimming was not a common skill for everyone at that time or back in the day at least so but why are they feminine why are they hot why are they singing like and why are all these different cultures kind of coming up with the same idea I don't know that's just really fuck I had never heard of the deer women and yeah. being in North America, I'm a little embarrassed. Right? It's very interesting. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. That's You're fascinating. welcome. Oh, I love it. All right. So, Kelly, what are you thankful for this week? I'm thankful for no, no longer being redonkulously sick. Just a little sniffly. Just a little sniffly. <laughs> but Collecting I mean, I'd rather have that than like not being able to like be awake. Yeah. To people, to exist, to yeah, human. To do anything. Well, I'm glad you're feeling better, especially because we're doing a thing this Right? Weekend. That would suck if I'm just like, I'm too sick. Kelly, I will drag you with me. Do not fuck. <laughs> what are you thankful for? Um, so this week has sucked. Um, obviously, my friend passed away, and that's been uh, difficult to cope with. Uh, Jared was in a car accident this morning. He's okay. It wasn't like a, a serious thing, but it was yeah. still kind of like, happy Friday. This is like, it was Here's right in the more morning. Shit. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? And then kind of like we said at the beginning, we started recording this episode and we finished. So I was right here. Yep. We were right. I know. And I, Kelly's I don't like, know if you've noticed me like for 15 seconds. I don't know if you've noticed me like sporadically. I've been like looking over are there. Like, are, we, are we good? Are we recording? Are we good? Are we are we good? good? <laughs> And so obviously those are not all the same severity. I kind of went from worse to, you know, more manageable. But it's just, I, I don't know. It feels like, can something go right? Can something right. not be fucking awful? And so I've been struggling all week. Like, what am I going to say I'm thankful for? Because I'm just... There's just so much bad in the week. Yeah. Um, But... I am very thankful that I have a network of people who support me and who are there for me. Uh, one example, uh, my friend Tierney, who I've talked about before because she's incredible. She's an amazing yes, artist. And I love her. She's a goddess. Um, she and I went for a walk in the woods yesterday and she, she was she was a good friend of Melissa's too. And we kind of had this mix. We didn't talk a ton about Melissa, but it was like this almost trying to return a sense of normalcy but also being able to share those memories and how we yeah. were feeling in an environment that didn't have to just be sad yeah that's nice um so that was really nice uh kelly you're there for me 100 percent. we mm -hmm. so jared and i tried to take a trip up to duluth to do some hiking and to visit some historic and also creepy sites and he had a really bad PTSD episode and what was supposed to be a three-day trip turned into a like less than 24-hour turnaround and I was I was really upset it's not his fault I no. totally I totally understand it I'm not blaming 
but it's upsetting. Like I needed this mental break and I feel like I got more emotional anguish out of it. And so I was telling Kelly about it and just kind of sharing my feelings. And she's like, we should do something. We should go like just an overnight, do something. So we are actually going on a ghost and cave tour trip up in the cities this weekend. We might sweet. I'm so excited. We might hit up some uh, social distance museums and get our history on our local history on and science and whatever and it kind of like it it just made me feel so much better that one I have someone who's like that sucks let's do something let's make it better like let's do something cool together but also like I didn't lose my chance to do my spooky historic thing that I really want to do this fall I can still do it Mm -hmm. you know it's you always have a choice to like take control and make things better. So it's just kind of highlighted how I have people in my life who are there for me and who really care about me. And I'm very thankful for that because I would 100% not be here. <laughs> right. I get that. So thank you, Kelly. You're welcome. And Tierney, if she's listening. I'm she sure listens she sporadically. So we'll see if she hears this. She binges sporadically. I'm just going to wait for her to text me one day. You bitch. <laughs> You made me cry. Right. You made me all emotional. You made me feel. <laughs> That's funny. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Hursery. And thank you so much for your patience while our lives got a little bit out of control. But we are back yeah, and we're here that. for you. Uh, you can like us on Facebook at Whining About Hursery, Instagram at WAHpod. Twitter at WAH underscore pod. We have a website, whiningaboutherstory.com. We have a Patreon and a teespring which if you just search whining about herstory you will find us and you can join our patreon for as little as one dollar a month and see some crazy content and we were only going to record two episodes tonight because we are going to be recording some patreon extra bonus episode content but it's turning into three because the universe is a bitch so that shit is gonna get crazy and sloppy so seriously one dollar is all it takes to get in on that Woo! All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.